Welcome. It's a pleasure to be with you today. My name is Jason Dexter. We are continuing our series on the book of Revelation, and today we come to chapter 13. Chapter 13 tells us about two different beasts, very ugly, nasty beasts who do ugly and nasty things. Now, when we read things like this in the book of Revelation, sometimes it seems really foreign and strange to us. What do these almost alien-like beasts have to do with my life today in the year 2022? Well, I believe that the entire Bible is practical. And when we look carefully, we can find that every single passage relates to us. There are things which we can learn, principles which we can learn about God, about our enemy, about this world, and about ourselves, which we can apply to our lives as we seek to become more obedient to Christ. So uh, let's tune in and see who are these beasts and what do they have to do with us. So I'd like to invite you to join with me in Revelation 13. I'm going to read this in two parts. The first part from verse 1 to 10 deals with the first beast, and the second part from verse 11 through 18 deals with the second beast. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for they had given his authority to the beast. And... They worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name in his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Okay, so here we see the first beast. Is it a beast which rises up out of the sea? It says it has ten horns and seven diadems. Now, in the Bible, beasts often represent governments. Daniel had a similar vision, which is recorded in Daniel chapter 7. He saw four different beasts. Each beast represented a world government. Now, the four beasts that Daniel saw included a lion, a bear, a leopard, and a beast with ten horns. Now, note that the beast which John records in Revelation has all of these features. It has the feature of a leopard, has the feature of a bear, it has the feature of a lion, and it has ten horns. So it's a chimera. The world governments that Daniel learned of in his vision all set themselves up against God. 
Each one refused to submit to the king of kings, and instead they worshipped various types of idols. The leaders of those nations, uh, that was Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome, ensnared people in sin. Rather than encouraging their citizens to be faithful to God, they demanded their subjects absolute loyalty. Now, the beast in Revelation combines all of these world governments into a single one world government. This one world government at the end times will set itself up in opposition to God under the leadership of one man, the Antichrist. Now, sadly, throughout history, there have been very few governments that lead people to God. The very first attempt to create a government was in Babel under Nimrod. Babel then proceeded to rebel against God's authority. God had told all the people to spread throughout the earth, to be fruitful and multiply and spread throughout the earth. In Babel, they said, no, we're not going to spread throughout the earth. We're all going to come together. We're going to do exactly the opposite of what you command. And they made a tower as a rallying cry to all people to come there together. And basically that they didn't need God. They could unite under the banner of human independence and power. So we are reminded that all throughout history, there's been nation after nation, leader after leader, and almost all of these set themselves up against God, just like this in times one world government is going to do. Well, believers are to be loyal to God first. God does command us to obey the government in Romans 13, but at the same time, we remember that Peter and John said we must obey God rather than man. There will be times that the government will command you to do something which goes against God's word, which is in fact sin. In those times, we must not compromise our faith, but we must place our number one loyalty to God. We must also remember to place our hope and faith in Jesus and not in politics or world leaders. A lot of people place a lot of hope, a lot of faith in politics and think that politics are the answers. In fact, all men are fallible. And since governments are composed of men, they are fallible. So yes, we can be active. We can do our civic duty. We should vote and we can try to influence others to vote a certain way. There's a lot of things that we can do, but we must never set our hope or our faith in fallible men or fallible government. Now we see that this beast has 10 horns, 7 heads, and 10 diadems. Uh, These symbols are actually explained in Revelation 17. Uh, Revelation 17, 9 through 13. Uh, We will save that for Revelation 17 because it talks uh, about this in much more detail. So if you want to know what are are the ten horns, the seven heads, and the ten diadems, then join us again when we study Revelation chapter 17 in a few weeks. Now the beast is not going to rule by himself. He will head an alliance of a group of ten kings. These will crown him as their leader and be subservient to him. So it says right here, And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. To who? To the beast. To the beast who is the 
Antichrist. Now, as we learn in chapter 12, the dragon is Satan. Satan is the one behind the rise of this world ruler. Satan is called the god of this world. We see that in 2 Corinthians 4.4. In their case, the god of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The god of this world refers to Satan. Satan is active in this world. He's not laying around dormant. Now in chapter 12, we saw that as he realizes that his time is very short, is drawing to an end, this motivates him to even greater levels of activity. Now the devil's always been a master of seduction and deception. He is continuously at work behind the scenes opposing God and the saints. Now already Satan has successfully sold many of his lies to the world. Some of these include evolution, telling you there's no creator, there's no standard, there's no moral authority. Hedonism, you should live for pleasure, live for yourself. Materialism, money is everything. Uh, LGBT, there is no boundary on what you are allowed to do. And relativism, truth is whatever you say it is. So Satan tries to bring all of his ideology into the world to, we can say, brainwash people, to deceive them into a certain way of thinking. And many times he is successful. And at this time in the future, all of his schemes, which he's been laying for millennia, will hatch the world governments will buy in. Satan will install his man as the leader of this new world government. And all of Satan's minions, this horde of demons, will actively work to delude people and maintain this leader's power. Now, what is the identity of this world leader? Well, this world leader is the Antichrist. We don't know now. We don't even know if he's alive. We certainly don't know his name yet. Uh, the beast, it says, is going to be rising up out of the sea. Uh, that shows us that it's, that it's a mystery. He's unknown. He's hidden until that time when he comes forth uh, during this end times, this seven-year tribulation period. Uh, in the Bible, he has some other titles. Matthew 24, 15 through 16. When you see the abomination of desolation. Okay, that's another term for the Antichrist. The abomination of desolation. Now, there have been many Antichrists, that is, people who oppose Christ. But at that time, the Antichrist, the one final uh, Antichrist will emerge. And he would take up the mantle as the final and most powerful one who sets himself up against God. Now, some believers try to spend a lot of time speculating on the identity of this person. They wonder, is he alive today? Uh, they might mention different U.S. presidents. They might mention Russian presidents or Muslim leaders. They might mention different people from the EU and or, or different celebrities or rich entrepreneurs. And they say, is this him? Is that him? And they spend a lot of time speculating on who it might be. But you will not be able to identify this figure ahead of time. He comes out of the sea. He will be hidden among the masses of humanity until his time comes and then he rises up and his identity is revealed. 
That has not happened yet. So don't waste your time trying to guess his identity. It would be far better time to just study the Bible and share the gospel. Now, what's going to happen to this Antichrist? Verse 3 tells us a very strange event. It says, One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Now, Satan is a master imitator. He doesn't have very many original thoughts or ideas. Mostly, he just seeks to copy God. Now, this will be no exception. What was Jesus' greatest victory? His death and then his resurrection. His resurrection proved his divinity and is the focal point of our faith. Now, Satan will want to prove that he is equal to or greater than God. So he will seek to stage a similar miracle. Now it looks like the Antichrist will be severely wounded to the point of death. Note that it says his, its heads seemed to have a mortal wound. Seemed to have a mortal wound. It doesn't say he actually had one, but it seemed that he had one. It appears that this will somehow be faked or exaggerated or gimmicked in some way. Now the Antichrist PR machine will be in full motion proclaiming a resurrection. Oh, this world leader, whoever he is, he died and he rose again. He is the Messiah. He is God himself. And they will use this to convince the whole population of the world to worship the beast, to claim that this man is in fact divine. The seeming resurrection will be used as proof that this beast is worthy of worship and your absolute and total loyalty. Now, whether or not the obviously demonic origins of this government are manifest to the common person before this or not is not clear. So, we don't know at what point in time people will realize this government and its leaders are satanic. But it does look like at this point, they will know that this is not just a typical government demanding typical loyalty. Its leaders demand worship and its top leader will claim to be God. Now you can look at different governments in the past where leaders have demanded a total loyalty of their people. In World War II, uh, Japanese soldiers uh, committed many ritualistic suicides because they believe that's what the emperor wanted them to do. Uh, they gave absolute and total allegiance to the emperor. And this is one out of many, many examples of similar cases in world history. But there are few cases, at least in recent times, where the leader of a government says, you must worship me. Uh, in ancient times with Egypt and certain other countries, it did sometimes happen. But we haven't seen that in recent times. Although some leaders of world governments even today, they don't call it worship, but they demand your total loyalty above everything else. So it's basically essential to worship even if they don't use that word. But this point in time when... They will directly worship the dragon. So they're not just worshiping the beast. They will be worshiping the dragon.
and the beast, right? Verse 4, they worshiped the dragon and they worshiped the beast. So the dragon, Satan, people will actually become Satan worshipers. We'll talk about that a moment, uh, more in a moment. So not all is added as it seems. He seemed to have a mortal wound, but there's something more going on. The language used indicates this will be a trick. It will be something like a very well-executed magic trick. And it will be made easier because the government is going to control all the media. They will own the police. They will own the morticians. They will be able to fake certificates of death. Whatever they want to do, they'll be able to do it. Now, when Moses performed miracles in Egypt, the Egyptian priests were able to imitate these miracles on a small scale. Perhaps it was through magic, or if not, through demonic power, or just some skillful dark art. Well, Satan's a supernatural being. He and his demons will be fully capable of performing some signs. But he cannot actually create life or truly raise a person from the dead. But that won't stop him from pretending that he can. The result is that people are going to worship not just this so-called resurrected uh, divine man figure, but also Satan who is behind him. Now, Satan is behind many of the world religions today. Just as he was behind the Canaanite idols that demanded child sacrifice thousands of years ago. But Satan is has mostly been hiding behind these religions. He is hiding behind these idols and he is hiding behind these sinful practices. But he doesn't, you know, he's that man in the mask. He doesn't come out and declare himself and say, worship Satan. But after this event, the facade will be removed. People will directly worship Satan with full knowledge that is what they're doing. Now, why do they worship Satan? Is it because he's good? It's not. It's because of his power. They say, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? Who can fight against it? So, it's some, in some aspect, it's like they're resigned to it. They're saying, he's too powerful. Maybe they don't even like him. Who who would, right? He's too powerful. We can't do anything about it. There's kind of some resignation in this sentence. Fear will drive them to him. And they know they can't beat him. They can't do anything about him. They are totally dependent on their own strength because they don't have Jesus in their hearts. So they can't fight. They can't do anything about it. So they say, all right, we'll just worship him because it's like we have no choice. Actually, they have a choice to turn to Jesus who would help them, but they don't do it. Now, this is in direct contrast to our relationship with God as seen in 1 John 4.18. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So people will follow Satan just because they fear him. This is different. We follow God because he loved us. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Our God is loving, compassionate, kind, and yes, also powerful, but he uses that power for our good. So let us take a moment and thank God that our relationship with him is based on love and not just on power or fear. Verse 5 talks about the mouth that this beast has, which is so haughty and blasphemous. He's going to be a huge boaster, terrible abominations pouring from his mouth. And it says that it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. 
Now this phrase, it was allowed, appears many times in the book of Revelation. God could squash him in an instant. God could silence him in spite of his boasts. Yet God is going to permit it for a certain period of time in order to bring his plan to conclusion. The king has limited patience though. He's going to set a limit. 42 months as the amount of time that this evil man can remain in power. So we're reminded, even though this guy will look like he has all the power, God is the one on the throne. This world now may look like it is chaotic and evil, but it's not going to last. One day God will set everything right. Now it says in verse uh, let's see, verse 6, yes, he opened his mouth to utter blasphemies. And then in verse 7, that it was allowed to make war on the saints. So Satan hates those who don't follow him. His rage against believers will be unleashed. Now in one sense, he will conquer them. It says to make war on the saints and to conquer them. But in another sense, they will conquer him. Uh, we just read in the last lesson in Revelation 12, 11, that they have conquered him. So in one sense, the beast conquers believers. In another sense, believers conquer the beast. What does that mean? Well, the beast is actually able to kill the physical bodies of believers. In that sense, he will win this short-term battle over their physical bodies. But on another aspect, because they don't compromise and they don't give in, they are saved, they go to heaven, they win the final victory, and they will in fact see his doom. God will set everything right. So believers can actually conquer him through the blood of the Lamb. And it says in verse 8 that the true believers will not worship him. All who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life. So true believers will not worship him. According to verse 8, every person in the world whose name is not in the book of life will one day worship Satan. Now the reverse of that is that all true believers will not. Real believers will not worship Satan. That is a promise from God. God will help give you the power to overcome in that day and not to give in and worship him or compromise against your beliefs. So how can believers stand firm against such serious persecution? Well, God will protect his followers from apostasy. It is his power that will strengthen them to stand against such terrible persecution as well as the combined deluding power of the demonic horde. Believers need to depend on Christ. John 15, 5 gives us a reminder as to how to do that. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we have to depend on him. And that's true even today. For every temptation we face, we must depend on the Lord. You cannot defeat this beast without God and you cannot even defeat a regular routine run-of-the-mill temptation without God. All right. <clears throat> now the end of verse 10 says, here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. 
So believers are called to endure. They're not like passive objects. Each believer has a responsibility to stand firm and endure. So you might say, okay, my name's written in the book of life. I'm not going to compromise. I'll be okay. I'll overcome. If your name's in the book of life, true. At the same time, God calls you to endure. So God is sovereign. God gives the power, but he also gives us responsibility to be responsive and to claim his help and to actually endure through those challenging times. Active prayer and strong roots in scripture are going to be essential. So God's work in the life of a believer is not divorced from the believer's response to him. God works in you, but you're also called to depend on him and be a willing receptacle of his work on you. So he supplies the power, but believers still need to connect that power to uh, to a battery source, to a charger, in order to get that help. Now the second part of this passage is talking about the second beast, the false prophet. It says, Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. So there is another beast. Great. Just when you thought things couldn't get any worse, now there's another one of these guys. Now the second beast has some characteristics like a lamb, but its speech is from the dragon. Now, perhaps the lamb part means that it wants to make itself appear somehow pure or righteous and kind. Uh, We are reminded about the wolves in the sheep's clothing. He is like a dragon in sheep's clothing. He's just another tool of the devil. Now, here we can see something of an unholy trinity. Three characters are seen throughout this chapter. The dragon, the first beast and the second beast. So the dragon, the antichrist, and we can call this one the false prophet. Now as discussed earlier, Satan likes to mimic God. For those who can't create, they copy. And this is what Satan does. He is an amazing copycat. He models his mission after God's in that he forms a trinity, albeit an unholy one. Now in this evil trinity, Satan imitates God the Father, The Antichrist imitates God the Son, and the false prophet imitates God the Holy Spirit. As such, the Antichrist is the most visible of these three, and the false prophet's main mission is to glorify the Antichrist. The false prophet will use his influence and power to compel people to worship the Antichrist. It says in verse 12, he's going to use his power to make the inhabitants of the earth worship the first beast. He's going to compel people to worship the Antichrist. And we can see in this passage that he has real power. Verse 13 says it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Among many of the other signs that are not named, he's able to call fire down from heaven in front of people. The false prophet also commands people to make an image or an idol of the Antichrist and then forces them to worship it. 
and somehow he causes that any that idol to speak and then to strike down those who don't bow to it. So verse 15 says, It was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even cause and might might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So a lot of really weird stuff going on. The false prophet uh, has people make these idols or images of the beast, perhaps not only one, maybe even all over the world in different locations. And then somehow this idol is able to speak and then to kill people who don't bow down to it. So we're reminded in Daniel 3 when Nebuchadnezzar made the idol, the image, and commanded all the people of his kingdom to bow down. And those who didn't, he said, I'm going to throw you into the fire. So here we see history repeating itself again. This is what Satan is going to do in the last days. Uh, presumably people will be marched in in front of the image and then if they don't bow down, boom, they are killed. So the power of this is significant. It seems more significant than just some magic tricks are at play here. Now we shouldn't be surprised. Demonic beings are very powerful. They are fallen angels. Throughout scripture, we see that angels are very powerful. In just one incident in the Old Testament, one angel kills 185,000 people in one night. That's in 2 Kings 19.35. Now the false prophet, though, will use these signs for one goal, to deceive people. His goal is their total devotion to the beast. And his tools are power and fear. Now that's a stark contrast with Jesus whose miracles always help people. So the false prophet will use whatever he has in a, uh, this flash and awe campaign to try to convince people to worship the Antichrist and to worship his image. Believers should not be surprised by the false prophets or his signs. <clears throat> We are warned many times about it in scripture. 2 John 1, 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. And Matthew 24, 24. Sorry. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So as we can see, Jesus himself warned us about such people. Every era and every civilization has had false prophets from Satan come in and attempt to lead people away from God. You have shamans and witch doctors and priests of Baal are just a few of the people he's used over the years. Now many of these were able to perform some signs that the world couldn't understand. But it wasn't through the power of God. It was through the power of demons. Now what does all of this mean for us today? Well, believers of all times, you today need to be ready to resist false teachers. You resist by being rooted and grounded in God's word. Psalms 1 says that those who meditate on God's word are like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water. You get nutrition from God's word. You then protect yourself against false teaching. You know what is true and what is not, and the truth will set you free. 
as you fill your minds with scripture and prayerfully seek enlightenment from him, he will give wisdom and discernment. So know that even if we don't live in the period of the end times, even if you never make it to that time, or we are raptured first, or whatever happens, in every area there are false teachers like these. And we need to be careful. And we need to be discerning. And we don't believe anyone just because of something flashy that they do. Don't be tricked by the flashy or by the showy. Not everything powerful is from God. False teachers give themselves away in either one of or both of two areas. Now, first area is that their message is not consistent with Scripture. Galatians 1.8 says, If a person or even an angel comes and, <clears throat> and preaches any other gospel to you, no matter if it's accompanied by miracles, don't believe. So one is the message doesn't agree with God's word. And two is their lifestyle is not consistent with scripture. Now many false teachers indulge themselves in the world. Their lifestyle is unholy. With the popularity of the internet, false teaching is more accessible than ever before. So that's why you must learn to read the Bible and apply it for yourself. Don't believe it just because... Someone told it to you just because you heard it from a preacher on the internet or from a speaker on YouTube. Don't believe it just because you heard someone say it. Even if it's someone that you respect very well, you need to dig into scripture and find the truth directly from God's word. All right, so going forward, we can see this mark of the beast. It says in verse 16, Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on their right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is the, num- the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. All right, so this is talking about the mark of the beast. The false prophet will force people to get a mark. What is a mark? Well, a mark is something like a brand that's put on cattle. And a brand shows who owns the cattle. This mark, the mark of the beast, will show more or less that Satan owns you. That the Antichrist owns you. That you are loyal to him. That you worship him. Now, highlighted in this text is the fact that Riches and power will not exempt someone from the requirement to get the mark. Everyone has to get it. Now, one of the methods used to force compliance is that without the mark, no one will be allowed to buy or sell. That presumes that store clerks would be required to check for the mark before allowing customers to check out. Or if you're buying online, that somehow this information would be tied into your electronic wallet or... You know, we don't know what kind of technology will be used, but whatever uh, medium you're using for making the purchase, whether in person or online or through some app, that there will be a check for this mark. And only verified mark uh, people who are marked will be able to do any buying or selling. Presumably, those without the mark who try to make purchases would surely be reported to authorities and dealt with. 
Is that hard to imagine a world like that? Uh, perhaps a hundred years ago, it would have been difficult to imagine that. But modern technology has made it far easier for governments to monitor, track, and surveil their citizens than ever before. Cash is quickly becoming a thing of the past, and digital currencies are being proposed and developed all over the world. In some countries, the governments already track nearly everything that their citizens buy and sell. So, this is actually a very small step. The technology basically exists for this already. It's a very small step. Toward a world where a mark like this is required. Now, those who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture do not believe that we, the church today, would be alive in this time. But if the rapture doesn't come first, how can believers be prepared to say no to the mark? Or put another way, even if you don't face that temptation one day about this mark specifically, how can you be prepared to stand up for your faith in a world that increasingly persecutes believers? How can you be sure that you won't deny the faith, that you won't give up your Lord for the sake of some short-term gain? Well, believers must depend on the power of God. Now, the end times will see demonic forces in full activity. Delusion and deceit will be powerful forces difficult to resist. How can you escape? A gun won't save you. Storing up food will not save you. Resisting all modern technology is not going to save you. You can do many, many different kinds of things to try to prepare for the end times. But there's only one thing that can actually save you. And that is a strong relationship with Christ. A strong relationship with Christ. No matter how much food you save, if the earthquake or one of these disasters hits next to you, the food isn't going to protect you. It will be a very unstable and very uh, chaotic world. You cannot trust in any of these things. You can only trust in Christ. He will open your eyes to the truth and He will keep you from being deluded. He will empower you to resist the devil. Now, some people are afraid of, is this the mark of the beast or is that the mark? And what if I get it by accident? It's not going to be something that anybody is going to take by accident. There will be a choice, a clear choice. God or Satan. God or Mark. No one's going to go into this with their eyes closed, and especially not a believer. Jesus will open your eyes so that you can understand what's going on and make the right choice. He'll empower you to resist the devil. 1 Peter 5.8 Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You can refuse the mark, but it will mean death. It will mean death. Now, during that time of testing, he'll give you the help that you need to remain steadfast. So what should you focus on today? We see all of these beasts and this mark and really this horrible dystopian future that's coming where technology is used to control and enslave and chain populations to force them to worship Satan himself. Well, believers should focus on getting close to Jesus. In the modern world, it's easy to take our eyes off of Jesus and start worrying about all of the developments that we see around us. 
all of the news and all the things going on and wondering, is this going to be the mark or, or what's happening? Uh, what about the pandemic? And what about all of these things? And to get really stressed and worried and to try to decipher all of the signs. Well, you should be alert, yes, but don't be distracted. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't follow red herrings. Revelation 1.1 says that this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus. So put your eyes on him. Our battle is not against these things, which we cannot stop. Our battle is for souls. What can you do in this conflict? You can share the gospel. The gospel of Christ is the power of God. Jesus is going to be the one who can save people and bring them into his kingdom. So what can we do? Knowing all of these things which are coming, what can we do today? I'll leave you with this very important but simple point. John 9, 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. It's still day. The night's coming closer, but you still have time. We can still share the gospel today. We can still invite people to join Jesus' kingdom before it's too late. So don't put your focus on the wrong things. Don't be distracted on the latest sensational news. Set your eyes on Jesus and invite others to do the same. If we have a relationship that is close to Jesus, we don't need to fear no matter what kind of beasts or monsters or even Satan himself comes to to tempt us or to try to draw us away from God. So I hope that this lesson has been an encouragement to you and I hope that you will do the works of him who sent you as long as it is day. We do know how close we are to the end times period. We don't know when the rapture or the tribulation are coming. It's getting closer. But we do know that today we still have opportunities. Let's serve God while we still can. So I would invite you to join us in the next lesson. We're going to continue forward and study Revelation chapter 14. Uh, Until then, may God bless you. See you next time. To see our entire library of over 800 Bible studies, please visit our website at www.studyandobey.com.